system. For those who don't know, I'm Daryl McPherson. Um, I am on staff here. I'm not the pastor. From time to time, I'm asked to fill in when a pastor is away, and he is uh, this week. So I was asked to fill in, and I'm hoping that we will thrive more than just survive uh, during this time. I do give you my name because I wanted to make sure uh, you know who I am and why I would be up here. Some have uh, enjoyed playing games with names and nicknames and things like that, and uh, uh, we recently were spending some time on a boat and out uh, uh, tubing, and it made me think about the guy who, uh, who fell off the boat, and uh, he has a life jacket on, and the boat went by, and uh, of course you could nickname him what? Bob, right? Yeah, you've heard that. Um, and uh, if he had uh, gotten caught, as his uh, rope got caught onto his, his uh, life jacket as the, the, the boat went by, of course, what would you name him? Skip. <laughs> yeah, you might name that. What's in a name? What's in a name? That's which we call a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. Yeah. Spoken by whom? Well, he didn't speak it. He wrote it, and the one, the character who, who spoke it was Juliet, right? In, of course, now you know the play, Romeo and Juliet. Some of you have heard that. And, uh, yeah, it was written by Bill Shakespeare. Can we, use, can we give him that nickname, or is that too gauche? Is that wrong? Shakespeare said that, and Juliet actually said that, that um, term because... She wanted to know, she wanted to, her family to know that her dear Romeo, even though his surname, his last name, belonged to a family that were rivals against her family, he still, he still is not going to be um, um, uh, portrayed or, or um, uh, hemmed in by that surname uh, so that he could be, uh, they could be uh, um, uh, together even though the families didn't want that. What's in a name? If a name is spoken and it's not, um, it's not going to change the character of that person, it is considered irrelevant. Not so the names of God in Scripture. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Not so the names of God in Scripture. In uh, Leviticus 18, 1 through 5, we, we read that the, the Lord is called, I am the Lord your God. In fact, I am the Lord your God appears three times in just these five verses that we're going to be looking at for this morning. And uh, the I am the Lord your God appears 150 times in the Bible. I guess it is safe to say that our God wants us to know something about himself. He is in charge. He knows what is best, and he demands to be obeyed. He and his ways are to be trusted and obeyed. Let's read Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18, starting at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep 
my statutes, to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to talk to you and to hear your voice talk back to us and and to understand what it is you want us to know about you, Lord, our Lord, Jehovah. Lord, would you speak to us in such a way that we know your word. Father, also we ask that you would minister to those in children's worship, that you, Heavenly Father, would teach children through the instructors how to worship and to be worshiping as they learn how to worship you. And would you do that for us as well? so that we would know what you want us to know about how to obey you. We pray this in Jesus. Amen. If you notice, in this scripture reading, some of your Bibles might have this too. The name LORD is in all caps. And when we say the, uh, see that the name LORD is in all caps, it means just that, that there is in no certain uncertain terms that our God is in charge. He is LORD. He is the self-existent eternal one, and he tells us that that is he. And he asks us, he calls us, he demands us to obey. And that's the title for this morning. I have got to obey my Lord. Why? I have got to obey my Lord. Why? Well, in order to be saved and have heaven as a home one day. Now, before the leadership starts pulling out their phones and uh, uh, contacting each other and deciding, uh, we got to get together because we got to decide how to bring discipline on Daryl, who just said that we are, um, he is preaching salvation by works. Let me tell you, it, uh, I want to explain. In order to be saved and, and go to heaven, we must obey. Why? Because indeed, it is true that perfect obedience is uh, what the Lord calls us to do and is required of us in order to get to heaven. But since, since it is also true that perfect obedience to the Lord is uh, a requirement, it is also true that perfect obedience cannot be done by us. We all struggle, we all struggle to not sin on a, on a moment-by-moment basis, and we are incapable of being perfectly sinless. That's what's demanded to get to heaven. We are desperately then in need of a saving Savior. Amen? desperately in need of a saving Savior to forgive us our sins and to give us the grace from our Lord Jesus who forgives us and our sins and then grants us His righteousness. If you've not understood that and believed that before this morning and now you believe that, accept the Lord. I, I ask you, I plead with you, accept the Lord's forgiveness and accept Him so that you too can be saved. And as believers... As believers, we are called by God to obedience, to continually work out our sanctification. Thus, I am required, I am required to obey the Lord. I've got to obey the Lord. And since this is true, in verse 3, what we read uh, of our Lord, you shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where ye lived, nor shall you do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall walk in You shall not walk in their statutes. Since that is the truth, I am to remember, I must remember, I am called from living like the ungodly. I am called to, I am called from living like the ungodly. The recipients of this passage of scripture were the Israelites. And the Israelites were just freed from the Egyptians. They were just 
taken out of, the, uh, of Egypt, and they were told not to, to live like them. And God said, I'm also bringing you to the land of Canaan, and I'm bringing you to that land. It's going to be your land. It's your inheritance, but do not live like the inhabitants that are there. I want you to be different. I am, I'm commanding you to be different in such a way that you must not live like they do. God was commanding them not to live like either of these wicked societies, but to live as he had taught them, as he led them and taught them through their years of wandering in the wilderness. First, I will not then, therefore, since that's the truth, first, I will not be led by my ungodly past. I will not be led by my ungodly past. For some of us, or some, some of you, it could be that your, um, your non-Christian past, and you became a Christian later on in life, and you're not going to look back and live like those things. For the rest of us, or for all of us, actually, it could be the sins of the past of yesteryear or yesterday. We will not be lead, leading our lives like the sins of the past. We cannot let them decide us. We cannot let them determine our future. We cannot let the sins of the past uh, dictate who we are and, and, and uh, allow those things to control us. Past failures must not define your, uh, nor determine your future. Past failures must not define nor determine your future. You can go ahead and say that in your mind right now. It's okay to talk to yourself. It's good to talk to yourself to solidify resolve. Personally, I think talking to yourself is a sign of intelligence. That's what I keep telling myself. Are you able to think of those people in the past who have helped you and talk truth into your life as well to help you in your obedience and in your walk in the Lord, in your trust in the Lord, and in your faith which spurs obedience? And then, by the way, your obedience then spurs even more faith. Are you able to think of those people who have done that in the past? Pastor, according to my sermon notes, last week, Pastor talked to us, our Pastor Dr. Wood, preached from Hebrews 13, and how to resist, how to resist the culture. In fact, he said we must resist the culture around us. And in, in Hebrews 13, 7, we read this. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. And consider, listen, consider the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. That's what we're called to do. Can you guess where I would tell you you could do that here at Providence Presbyterian Church? Nursery. Children's worship. Children's Sunday school. And in, in uh, Providence Kids Youth Group. Of course, there's other places. They're not as sanctified. But there's other places within this church in which you can serve the Lord. All kinds of ways where you can demonstrate your faith to others and help them grow in theirs. Remembering those who led you. And you could be one of those who would lead others. Why? In this way, then you will not let this age lead you. I will not let this age lead me. That's what we talk about when we talk about world. World there, in this situation, we're, I'm going to be talking about world as in age, or society as in age. That's where we are. We are in this age. And I will not let this age lead me. In, in Leviticus 18, we are told that the Israelites were not to be influenced more by the people around them, right? 
maybe, but it's like even more. It is God telling the Israelites, and us today, like the Israelites, he's telling us today, the new chosen, the new people, the new royal priesthood, he was telling us that we are to not allow our culture to lead us away from the Lord and his judgments and his statutes. Allow him to make sure he is the main influencer in our lives. Look, any influence or leading that causes you to compromise in any way your complete obedience to the Lord your God is an influence you must deny. You must. Not to be saved, but to to enjoy your salvation and because you're a believer, because you are saved. That's what the Lord calls us to do. It takes godly wisdom, doesn't it? Notice I didn't say you should not seek the guidance of professionals who may not be your fellow believers. I did not say that. God may decide to use other people, other things in your lives to lead you, but make sure it is he that is the influencer. If he can use a donkey to speak, he can even use this person to speak to you in front of this pulpit or behind this pulpit. And I will... Seek the Lord in my future. Did you notice in uh, verse 3 the word bringing? It's bringing. I love the fact that God didn't say the land I am leading you in this situation. He does lead. Yes, he does lead. But as he leads, he's actually bringing. One time, long, long time ago, this will show you my age, I had an overhead projector. For those of you who don't know what that is, ask a mom or dad. I had an overhead projector, and I was showing how you can lead people, and I had a string, and I was pulling it uh, uh, on this overhead projector, which projected up on the wall a, a, a bright screen, and then I said, okay, now watch this, and I tried to push it, and what happened with that string? It bundled up. It bunched up, and God leads us as he's bringing us, and because he's God, and, and in our obe- uh, as we seek to obey him, he knows not only what's going on, he's not only leading us, he's out ahead of us. Providence Kids students, those of you who are here today, Providence Kids students, and you can feel free to yell it out, it's okay. What is the word for God being everywhere present? Omnipresent, exactly. Well done, students, you did a great job. Our sovereign God will take care of your future as you live in obedience because you really ultimately don't know what your future is. And you can't decide it. We can try. We can pretend. We can act as if we know what we're doing. Uh, and, and we can make plans to get someplace. But ultimately, it is our Lord because we don't know what's going to happen between here and home. He knows the moral challenges we will face long before we come to them. And he will not abandon you, Hebrews 13:5. He will not forsake you. In order to stay committed to obey, are you taking time daily to seek him in Bible reading and in dedicated time slots of prayer so that your faith is strong and you are ready for the future? Are you doing that? I would, I would encourage you, highly encourage you, to keep finding ways that you can carve out time to understand God's word. And, and if you only do that once a month and you start doing that once a week, that's better. And it's okay. And those time slots of prayer would also be personal popcorn prayer time. When you're pray, 
uh, when you're driving, when you're talking to somebody, a lot of times because I stammer and stumble around and, and I'm not good with certain things, uh, I, I pray as I'm talking to somebody so that I can, I can minister and I can help them and I can lead them and I can understand their points of view so that I don't jump to conclusions. I pray, throw up popcorn prayers. I pray for someone and something that comes to my mind. I brought them to my mind for a reason. I pray. I pray so that uh, as I'm going to doing things or, or as I'm thinking about things, and, and I, I can be praying. I can throw up those little popcorn prayers. God wants us to do that. that in that way, we obey the command of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Watch, to pray without ceasing. In Leviticus 18, at the end of verse 3, did you see what we read there? You shall not walk in their statutes. This is God's will for us now, to not walk in their statutes. And it is already revealed to you. A lot of times we think about, I want to know what God's will is. You know, I would think almost 90, maybe 95% of God's will is already revealed to you. It is right here. The other uh, five, ten percent, uh, where you're going to, uh, how you're going to earn and, and spend and, 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 and collect and, and utilize and, and give away your resources and, and all those other things, th that other percentage, that'll come to you and God will work that out in his providence with you. But God's will is already presented to you and that is you obey God's will now for you. Obey his commands that are written in his word. But if you're not going to do something, like not live in the judgments and statutes of this world, then with what shall we replace them? In the adult Sunday school room, I saw a poster in the back wall. And it had the word written on it. The word sanctification was written on it. And with it uh, was this phrase, God gets Egypt out of his people. <laughs> I like that. God gets Egypt out of his people. And I picture God systematically pushing uh, the, the world's statutes and the world's judgments out of us as he puts in his judgments and his statutes into our lives. That's what we read in verses 4 and first part of 5. As you read with me from Leviticus 18, chapter uh, 18, verse 4, you are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes, my judgments by which you uh, uh, can, can think how to respond to things. And my statutes, that's the, like the riverbanks that keep you within. It's, the, it's the, uh, um, uh, the fence that's around you. Keep my uh, judgments and perform. That's why you can perform judgments. You are, to, uh, you are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes, verse 4, to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments. When we read that, it sounds like we better remember to live as the Lord commands, right? Point two, we better live. I must remember to live as the Lord commands because he tells us uh, that we must obey him. And in order to do so, I better remember to live as he commands me. In Ephesians chapter 6, we are to put on the full armor of God to go out and fight against evil, right? That's not what I read. What I read is we are to put on the full armor of God to take a stand. Right, students? <laughs> take a stand. That's how we symbolized it. To take a stand for the Lord. 
We take a stand with the full armor of God so that we obey and have a life from God's standpoint. A standpoint is the way uh, you position yourself and your circumstances and, and, and your beliefs that all go together so that you can have a standpoint. And the Lord uh, knows that uh, what is best, he has the best standpoint always. This is a godly standpoint we should be looking for. That's why we put on the full armor of God. And that's what God's asking us to do in Leviticus. As Scripture interprets Scripture, we can see that same thing. So remember, to live as God commands means I must live by God's standpoint and not the world's. If you don't know his standpoint, we're going back to our other point, and that is get into God's Word. Get with some small groups. Ask some people to help you. Ask questions to, uh, uh, that you can grow in the Lord with them. And, and utilize these ways to, to understand God's standpoint. God wanted his people, the Israelites, to stand out. Why? To point other people to him. And that's why he asked you to stand out. To have that standpoint so that you too can point other people to him. Sounds like we ought to have a we ought to have a purpose here at Providence. What is it? To make disciples. Right? And not to be merely different. Don't be merely different, but be obediently godly. Doing so, you show something of yourself. As you live for God uh, and, and know that the, the the listen, know that the very, very, very little bit of a fleeting pleasure you might give up in order to live uh, in obedience to God is less than a speck of dust on a big old truck scale compared to uh, the immeasurable joys and comforts and peace and, and sinlessness granted to us during just one moment of glory in heaven. Doesn't that encourage you to want to live and a great motivation to keep obeying God's word? John MacArthur said, obedience does not save from sin and hell, but it does mock those who are saved. With obedience, Christian, be marked. Be marked. Be a standout for the Lord so that others ask you about the reason for your morals, the reason for your hope, the reason for your joy, the reason for even though things aren't going right in your life or in the world, that you have the ability to keep on keeping on. Stand out like that. Your obedience will help you be a standout and, and help you do what God wanted the Israelites to do, and that's point others to him. To be an example to your family, co-workers, friends, neighbors, but two other things. To also give assurance of your salvation to yourself. Your obedience helps give assurance of your salvation to yourself. Almost every time I encounter a person, a Christian, who has doubts or is struggling with fears of hell, it is always the person, almost always the person, who has been struggling with sin in their life. So obedience feeds your faith. and helps you to show your own assurance of salvation to yourself. And the assurance, uh, the assurance to loved ones. People will see. Oftentimes, uh, when I'm asked to do funerals or I minister to families who just lost a loved one and it's a, it's a believer who walked with the Lord, 
I often will point to the family to praising the Lord for the fact that that individual gave proof that you don't have to say goodbye to them if you too are a brother and sister in the Lord. That you know where they are right now after they pass. To me, you give assurance to yourself and you give assurance to others that you, in your obedience, that you are a follower of God. Obey to stand firm in your faith. And living as the Lord commands means I will reject all other gods. I will reject all other gods. Now, in Israel's day, in their age, that almost always meant rejecting idols and false gods of the pagan society. For us here in America, in this age, this means in order to reject gods, I will have to reject the God of convenience, the God of selfish accumulation of possessions, of the God of pleasures and pride, the God of uh, uh, trusting my retirement and my nest egg, the God of uh, selfish accumulation of possessions, the God of, of self-sufficiency, self-justification, selfishness, self-reliance. How about just the God of self? It means I will reject the God of patriotism or political, political viewpoints, which we often, too often, Christianize as if that's the way we need to be. The, the God of getting enraged on the road as if I and only I own that road and I have the rights and privileges of this road. The God of manipulating others and desiring to control others with all kinds of means. We need to reject those gods. Reject those gods because these and all others, other than our Lord himself, L-O-R-D in capital, the other than the Lord, are not the Lord your God, and they are not able to give life. They are not able to give life. You might be tempted to think, well, the filling guy at the church uh, that I went to, and he told me I have to be good. Well, if that's true, then I did another mediocre job as a filling pre preacher. Therefore, we better hurry up to point three to straighten out those things. Yes, the main theme of the book of Leviticus is sanctification through observance of the law of God. That's Leviticus. And yes, receiving God's forgiveness, acceptance, and uh, adoption should be followed by holy living and spiritual growth and a growing pure, purer fellowship in, uh, as followers of the Lord. No denying that obedience to the Lord is commanded here in Leviticus 18, 1-5. Yet the passage also tells us Look again at the command of verse 5. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. By which a man may live if he does them. Does that remind you of John 10.10? Yes, Carl, it does. Thank you. I appreciate that back there. Yes, John 10.10. What do we read in John 10.10? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. I think, as Scripture inter interprets Scripture, that's what we see here in Leviticus, by which a man may live, put the emphasis on live, by which a man may live, truly live, and live abundantly. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus clearly tells us that the devil wants to steal life from you. How's he's going to steal that? By convincing you to live in the world's statutes and judgments. The Lord, Jesus, wants to give you life and give you abundant life. 
point three. I will remember who gives me life. In order to obey the Lord, in order to obey the, the commands that I see in, in Leviticus 18, 1-5, to obey the Lord, I must remember who gives me life. Verse 5 of our scripture reading is referring to a long life of prosperity for Israel. We know their cycle, their ups and downs, their, their uh, roller coaster life. Uh, they would be up at the top because they decided a, a king came along and, 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 or a judge came along and, and they decided to follow the righteousness and they decided to walk with the Lord and, and obey his commands and, and God blessed them with prosperity and, and good things happened. And then gradually, what did they do? They started following uh, false gods and they gave in to that temptation and then we know that their life went down and it was tough or they were uh, um, exiled and all kinds of other things. And then uh, God would call them back. We know that that life happened. So we understand Absolutely, it is true here in Leviticus. We understand that this uh, life that he's talking about is life of, of uh, successful and, and prosperity in the world. Yes, that is promised here as well. Yet the scripture, as it interprets scripture here, also means an abundant life is first, it is the salvation from an, an eternity of suffering the penalty of sin and, and eternal death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what is, that is meant here as well. We can have that. And Leviticus 18.5 also calls for belief in eternal life in heaven without, without this, without that, we have no assurance. We have no joy. Not on this earth. So yes, it means both. We have life, and we have it abundantly, because we have a life to look forward to, and we have a life here. Even though things may not go as we plan, even th though things are painful, even though things are not good, you will not ultimately be harmed. It may hurt, but you won't ultimately be harmed. And, and you can enjoy, you can still have that good life, a successful, spiritually successful life, life here on earth that God blesses with joy, that cannot be stolen by the evil one. Don't let them have that. And do so by continually to being, uh, being um, confident that you can and should, must obey the Lord. That's life abundantly now, as well as a life we look forward to. With the Leviticus 18, 1 through 5, we are painfully aware that we cannot perfectly live up to the perfection that God's calling us to do. No one can. Who did it in your place? So, by combining these two aspects of the promise, uh, the promise of obedience, uh, uh, the, I'm sorry, the promises we get from obedience as children of God, we are spiritually successful and biblically prosperous. Therefore, point A, I will obey to have a fulfilled life presently. Right now, I will obey to have a fulfilled life presently, sharing in some of the sufferings that Christ, by living, uh, by living this age, in this age, and saying no to the things that tempt us, no to the things that call us, no to the things that scream for our attention, by, by sharing in Christ's sufferings by, and saying no to those things, we are living a fulfilled life, while all along constantly remembering that my heavenly Father desires to keep a, a empowering and improving, loving parental relationship with him so that I do perform his judgments and I do walk in his statutes 
he will call us to himself. And as we obey him, he'll keep empowering us to do those things. Therefore, I also must remember that my Lord earned my blissful eternity. I know my points are cumbersome. <laughs> I'm, not as a, I'm not the wordsmith that pastor is, but it's the truth is there. I must remember that my Lord earned my blissful eternity. Your gratitude for this truth helps spur your obedience, so keep on obeying. Your relationship with Him will uh, come to its fullest and most beautiful expression in the new heaven and new earth. We know that's the case. But Christian, your complete salvation is nearer now than it was last year. Your complete salvation is nearer now than it was yesterday. Is nearer now than it was when this sermon began. Yeah, I know. I can hear your jokes. And it's nearer now. Your complete salvation is nearer now, even nearer now than when I finished that last sentence. We started earlier this morning with a discussion of names and nicknames, and, and, and we did it so that we could get us thinking about how God uses His name, LORD, in all caps. Anybody know the one-time, the nickname of the one-time professional wrestler and now actor, Dwayne Johnson? Anybody know his nickname? The Rock. Yeah. And in comparison, I guess my nickname would be The Sponge. I don't know if I told you the story, but a couple months ago, I was coming out of the office of my cardiologist after an annual checkup, and I felt a bit behind. I came out of the office, and I came out into the, into the uh, parking area, and the parking area was shared by other offices, and there was all kinds of commotion, and there was this huge, black, souped-up Escalade out there, and it actually had my car parked in, and there was all kinds of people around it. What, was this an accident? What's going on? And there were people who had their phones out, and they were taking pictures, and, and people were trying to fight through the crowd with pens, and in that Escalade, you guessed it, Dwayne Johnson, the rock himself. What do I do? I got all kinds of things I need to do. I got to get going. I want this appointment, and I have to go to another appointment. I can't get to my car. Do I join the crowd? Do I just try to get a selfie with him? What do I do? Do I go up and do I end all that conversation? Hey, guys, I got to get my car out of here. Then he's liable to leave, and all the people with me. That what do I do? There I was between the rock and my heart place. <laughs> it's not that funny. Yeah, I mean. I graduated from dad jokes, now pappy jokes. Of course, none of that is true. At first, you might think Israel was caught between a rock and a hard place, between Egypt and Canaan. No. Then you might think, well, it's caught, caught between a, a, a rock and a hard place, or hmm, between good and evil, that's it. The uh, Canaan and Egypt, they're together, and then there's God. No, there was no caught anywhere. They were at a position like we are, called to obey God. Not given a choice, but called to obey God. As believers, you are called to that kind of obedience. The only choice, the only choice is to obey Him. And He calls us to do that obedience in this age as well. In closing, to most, obedience was a familiar sermon theme this morning, right? I'm hoping it came from maybe uh, perhaps a less familiar passage. And I hope 
by doing so, you were encouraged. You were uplifted. Even emboldened to hear what God's Word means in Leviticus 18.1-5 by considering what it actually says. Because that's what we do. We want God to tell us. Tell us. For some of you who know what that means. The last four words of this morning's Scripture passage tell us why we've got to obey. That's what I said in the beginning. We've got to obey. Why? What does God say? I am the Lord. He calls you to not live like the ungodly around you. Therefore, you must live as he commands, all along remembering that it is he who gives us life. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would keep giving us hearts that want to trust and obey you. Lord, would you keep giving us hearts that want, that desire, that yearn to trust and obey you. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.